Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians this morning. Last week we concluded our chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Amos in the Old Testament. And I trust the Lord challenged you through those messages. Today we return to our study of Ephesians. Recall that we left off in verse 16 of chapter 4. This is a series we started on the first week of January. And Lord willing, we'll conclude around Thanksgiving. We come today to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul is writing to a group of believers in a city that is known for its wickedness. And he's calling them to live lives that are fundamentally different than the world around them. And so he says this, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord. So Paul is calling into play his authority as an apostle, but he's also saying that I agree with the Lord Jesus' assessment of the situation. By the way, that's always safe ground to be on, isn't it? When we agree with the Lord Jesus. Paul says, I agree with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that is in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. May the Lord add his blessing the reading of his word. Title of the message is The New You. This is the last Sunday of the summer. Kids are going back to school this week, and I suspect there are a few teenagers in the Keller district that spent the entire summer reinventing themselves. Some of the guys spent every waking moment in the gym trying to buff up for the fall. Uh, Some of the girls uh, changed their hairstyle or even their hair color. Maybe some music students worked very hard so that they could be first chair this year because they said, I'm going to be different. This is the new me. Well, Paul is talking about Christians when he says the, the new you, the new self. Well, the Bible teaches that when a person comes to faith in Jesus, they have more than a makeover. They are born again. That is, they become a new creature, a new creature, new creation in Christ. And this, of course, among other things, is what Paul has been teaching here in the first three chapters of Ephesians. You remember that the first three chapters of Ephesians is doctrinal. Paul wants us to appreciate our salvation. He prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we could do so. And then the last three chapters, four, five, and six, are practical in nature. That is, they teach us how to be Christians, to live lives that are pleasing to Christ. And so Paul's pattern of writing, not only in Ephesians, but throughout the New Testament, is to go from the macro, the large, to the micro, the small, from the general to the specific. And so the verses that I just read are the general. He says, here's how, generally speaking, a Christian is to live. Then for the next three chapters, he applies that general principle to specific relationships. We're going to study the relationships of husbands and wives, parents and children, even 
relationships in the work environment. And so he's very specific and practical in his application. So this morning, let's look at the new you. There are three points that I want to make from the text today. The first is this. We have to put the world in its right place. The world in its right place. When I was a boy, there was a popular country song entitled, Lubbock, Texas in my rearview mirror. And with apologies from all of you from West Texas, that song was about a young man who grew up in Lubbock who thought the secret to happiness in life was getting out of Lubbock. If he could just put Lubbock in his rearview mirror, then he could have a fulfilled life. Well, we need, Paul is saying, to put the world in our rearview mirror, put it behind us. When we talk about the world, we, we often say that as Christians we have three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world being that philosophical system that is pervasive in the world in which we live, that is anti-God and anti-Christ. Paul says, put that lifestyle that accompanies those philosophies behind you. That is, don't live like that any longer. In fact, he says, don't walk like the Gentiles do. Gentiles, just another word for pagans, for non-believers. Well, to avoid living like a Gentile, you need to know how a Gentile lives. Well, he begins to describe it. First of all, he says, they walk in the futility of their mind. You might just put out in parentheses, they're empty-minded. We all know some empty-minded people, right? Empty-minded people are people who aren't necessarily unintelligent. It's just that they have no meaning behind the facts that they know. Doesn't make any sense to them speaking of the bigger questions of life. Where did we come from? How did we get there? Humanity, you might have noticed, is very impressed with himself, right? He's very proud of the knowledge that he has accrued. And so he's come up with all sorts of theories to explain his own existence. The pervading one today, and it'll change tomorrow, is evolution, right? That man started out as this uh, microscopic organism. Um, it's not explained how the microscopic organism came about, but, but then he evolves and grows a tail and ultimately loses the tail and grows uh, arms and legs and fingers and toes. And even if that were true, which it's not according to the scripture, that does not explain the meaning of life, does it? And so even though man celebrates his own knowledge, he is vain in his understanding. It comes to nothing ultimately. And so he's like the preacher of Ecclesiastes when he looks at life and he says, all is vain. It's nothing. It's pointless. And so Paul says all of humanity outside of Christ is futile in their understanding. He says their, their understanding is darkened, that it is lacking in light. He says a similar thing in chapter 5 verse 8, we'll study later on. He says of Christians, once you were darkness, but now light in the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world, right? He is the light and we reflect that light, of course, Paul doesn't say you acted like light. He says you were dark, but now you're light. And then he says you are excluded from the life of God. That really sums up the full fundamental problem, right? The world lacking Jesus is cut off from the life of God. They are alienated, as it were, from their creator. And he says they walk in ignorance. Now, when we think of someone being ignorant, we sometimes pity them, right? Because maybe they haven't had access to education, and so they are left to ignorance. But this kind of ignorance he speaks of here is a willful, blameworthy ignorance. It's not as though 
the knowledge were not accessible to them, they reject the knowledge and willfully remain in ignorance. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter one. He, he says that God puts within every human heart a knowledge of himself, but beyond that, through what has been made, through his creation, through nature, man can come to understand God's divine attributes of creativity and his power on display. But man, by and large, willfully ignores that and so he's cut off from the life of God because he says of the hardness of his heart. It speaks of a callousness through repeated rejection of the truth. He's become hardened and no longer is sensitive to anything of a spiritual nature. He's past feeling in other words. He's like an animal living by his own impulses, his own lust. And really that is the description of the Gentile, he's controlled by lust. Whatever comes in his mind to do, he does it without regard to how it affects anyone, especially his creator. And he sums up the description of the Gentiles, I think in 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, when Paul says, they know not God. If you want to explain the behavior of your friends and neighbors and fellow countrymen and the people of the culture all around you, it's because they know not God but he's speaking to people who do know God. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to those who have the spirit of God living within them. Now this was not an exercise in rhetoric for Paul. He, this is something that the people to whom he was writing saw played out every day in their very wicked city, the city of Ephesus. He's pointing out that that kind of wicked lifestyle is inappropriate for someone who's a new creature. And so he encourages them to put that life in their rearview mirror, the world in its right place. Now the second thing we see, beginning verse 20, is that we're to walk with the right pace. He uses that terminology of walking a lot in the New Testament. And remember, he's not talking about putting one foot in front of the other. He's talking about your ordered, everyday, habitual pattern of life. Someone's walk is how they live day to day. And so he says a Christian's lifestyle, their walk, of course, is to be like Jesus. Because isn't that what it means to become a Christian? To become a Christian is more than to give intellectual assent to some historical facts about Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected. It's the commitment of your life to following him, for him to be your Lord. He says, you did not learn Jesus this way. In other words, he puts in sharp relief the lifestyle of one who's following Jesus and one who's not. He says, if be, that you've heard of him. The first thing is you have to hear Jesus, right? You have to hear his voice, that effectual calling. And then you have to be taught in him. That is, he's asking the question, if you came to be his pupil or not? Do you sit at the feet of Jesus and are you listening for his voice and his direction? When someone genuinely comes to know Christ, they necessarily begin to live differently than the world. I've heard even well-meaning evangelical pastors say it's, it's not necessary that a person when they become saved to change. <laughs> not according to the scripture, right? If being born again means anything, it means to change, right? It means to have a different attitude towards your sin. Now it's not to say, I hasten to add, that you never sin again. That was the error that the Wesley brothers fell into late in their ministry. They began to teach and believe that it was possible for a Christian to live sinlessly perfect. By the way, I never have met that person, have you? 
I'm certainly not that person. The, the point is that, yes, we occasionally sin, but our attitude towards that sin is fundamentally changed. We hate our sin when we're a Christian. As I often say of the Apostle Paul, he was not perfect, but he sure wanted to be. And every Christian should be like that. When we sin, we confess and we get right back on track. It's talking about our thinking process. And really, this whole section about is how we think. It begins in our mind. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, to Christians, by the way, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, he's writing to Christians, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or your spiritual service of worship. Now listen to this. And do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't hold the world system in front of you as a model and example and try to emulate it. Put it behind you and instead, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind, how you think so that you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what is the difference in the way that a Christian thinks and an unbeliever thinks? Well, John MacArthur says it this way, quote, the great difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is that the unsaved person walks in the vanity of his own mind and the saved person walks according to the mind of Christ, end quote. The unsaved person walks in the vanity of their own mind. They're their own God. Their own opinion is the highest that it could possibly be. But a saved person conforms his way of thinking to Christ's way of thinking. Now, how do we do that? Well, we pray, Lord, grant us the, the mind of Christ. That leads us to our third point. Wearing the clothes of grace. Wearing the clothes of grace. Look at verse 22. He says, that in reference to your former manner of life, now he's speaking to Christians. They used to be one way, was their former manner of life. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. In a number of places in the New Testament, including this passage before us, the old way of life before we were saved is treated as a dirty or a soiled garment of clothing. And we're instructed to take it off and lay it aside. We used to sing an old hymn, Are You Washed in the Blood? It, speak, it speaks of the cleansing power, the, the, the blood of Jesus, how, how we are stained and soiled with sin, but he cleanses us, the scripture says, from all unrighteousness. And, and so Paul is saying that sin that has become part of us is like an old dirty garment filthy, stained, smelly. And so you've been bathed by the, the, by the forgiving blood of Jesus. How foolish it would be to put on those old garments of sin once you've had a bath. It would be the equivalent of working out in the yard in August in Texas all day long and coming in and you're drenched with sweat and you're stained with dirt and you take a long hot shower and get out and put the dirty clothes back on. How disgusting that seems to us. But that's what we do when we're born again and yet we are attracted back to that old life instead of putting it in a rearview mirror. And so he says, wear the clothes of grace. In reference to your former way of life, lay aside the old self. Now we know that we are new creatures in Christ. We have a new way of thinking about sin and, and of living. 
And yet we must admit we still are prone to sin at times, right? Isn't that frustrating to you? Isn't it frustrating as you want to do what is right? You wake up in the morning and you say, this is a new day, Lord. I'm going to serve you today. I'm not going to think like I used to think. And by 1030, someone's made you angry, right? And you're thinking like you used to think. You didn't intend to. Well, you're in good company. There's what Paul wrote in Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh. Sold into bondage to sin. For, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do. I'm not doing the very thing I want to do. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present, but the doing is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm, going, if I'm doing the very thing I do not want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. By the way, have you ever felt like that? The thing I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. He said, I find then this principle that evil is present in me. The one wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Paul knows intellectually, doctrinally, that when he was saved, he was set free from the power of sin. He doesn't have to sin. He knows he was set free from the penalty of sin. That's why he says in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yet he drags around this dead body with him everywhere he goes that has these desires that sometimes wins the victory over him and he's frustrated with it and he says, wretched man that I am, when's it gonna be over? Who will deliver me from the body of death? And then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. What Paul is describing there is the constant battle that every born again Christian is in every day, right? Are we gonna have the mind of Christ or are we gonna have the mind of the world? Are we gonna follow the flesh or are we gonna follow the spirit? Well, the question is how can we have the mind of Christ? How can we be conformed into the image of the Son? Well, he gives us some tools. Remember the book of Ephesians is the treasure house of God where he lays out before us the truth that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he gives us two primary tools to win the victory. Number one is the word of God, right? What does 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 say? All scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable. It's good for something. Here's what it's good for. For teaching, of course, tells us the truth. For reproof and correction, corrects our wrong way of thinking. Training in righteousness, it tells us how to do what is right. So that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. I suspect you're like me. When you find yourself vulnerable to temptation, when you find yourself Walking after the flesh, it often corresponds with times when I'm not spending time in the Word. On the other hand, when I am spending and dedicating time to the Word of God every day, when I'm 
turning it over in my mind throughout the day. I'm like David. I hide God's word in my heart so that I will not what? Sin against him. Dwelling, meditating upon his word day and night. You'll find yourself like a, a tree whose roots run deep. And you bring forth spiritual fruit. On the other hand, when I'm inconsistent in my Bible study time and when I'm not meditating on the word, my mind is filled with all kinds of other things. And by the way, sometimes involuntarily, I'm like you. I am bombarded thousands of times a day with images from without, on billboards, on the internet, on television, on radio, conversations throughout the day. And so we must put our mind on Christ through his word. But when we fail, and we will, we must confess our sins. He says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know what that says in the Greek? It says he will keep on cleansing you. It's a continuous action. Because isn't this a daily grind? You just say, all right, Lord, I'm stopping sinning today. This is it. That's, that's our heart. That ought to be our attitude. No more. But we know the flesh is weak. And so when we do sin, when we do fail, as the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin, don't hesitate. Come right back to the Lord. Confess that sin and get right back on track. I was reading recently an article about a missile in our arsenal here in the United States military, which makes course adjustments 1,000 times every minute. In other words, it, it, its coordinates are typed in and it's launched, but then there are changes to atmospheric pressure, there's wind that has to be accounted for, and it has sensors in that missile that account for all of those things and make adjustments a thousand times every minute so that the missile stays on course and eventually goes to its target. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. There are times in our lives as we walk the Jesus road where we get off path, a little to the right or a little to the left. And he calls us back into himself. He makes course adjustments as we confess those sins. He brings us on the right path so that we can continue to walk in the way of righteousness. This is all Paul saying to the church at Ephesus. Put the world in your rearview mirror. You've had enough of that. Take off every day the soiled garments of sin and put on righteousness as you look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this word from your scripture that reminds us that we are not alone. Father, that you've given us your word, you've given us the opportunity to pray to you, you've given us the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And those blessings working together keep us on course. Father, I realize an audience as large as this, there may be someone who's never begun that walk. In fact, they're in rebellion still today, trusting in their own ability. Father, they walk as the Gentiles do, and whether they know it or not, that's in futility of mind. They may have accumulated great knowledge and multiplied degrees, but uh, they find it vain they found no answers to the real questions of life, which are to be found in Jesus alone. So I pray, Father, in the stillness of this moment that your spirit would call them unto yourself, convict their heart, 
of sin and judgment and righteousness. Draw them to the Savior. I pray for believers. Lord, I pray especially for our students that will be going back to school this week. Pray, Father, that they would not be persuaded to go back to that old way of life, but, Father, that they would live fundamentally different. Think first fundamentally differently and then live that out. And I pray that for our adults. I pray it for myself. Help us, Father, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we dedicate ourselves to the study of your word and to prayer. Use us, Father, for your own glory in this community, we pray through Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.